Good morning. Good morning. That's three of us. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, that's a little bit better. Great to see you this morning. Everybody got plenty of sleep last night? Yes. All right, so just so you know, this is not the place to catch up, okay? So if you fall asleep, I get to call on you to pray. So uh, anyway, uh, so here's, here's a couple questions for you. Um, part of this is review. Part of this is just uh, trying to uh, have things ingrained in your mind. So if I were to ask you or someone were to ask you, what makes Christianity different than any other religion, what would you say? Elias. It's because uh, we have a living God. You have a what? A living God. A living God. Okay, good. Great answer. Anybody want to add a little more clarity? Yes, ma'am. Tell me your name. Eve. Eve. What is it? Some other religions um, kind of have to get there by works. Okay. Okay, great. By faith in a living God. Anybody else? Oh, sorry. I didn't see your hand. Go ahead. Um, we're... That is exactly right. Great answer. So, what makes Christianity different from every other religion is that we have a living God, but in particular, a Savior who died, was buried, and rose again from the dead. And in other words, every other religion, uh, their leaders are all dead and in the grave. And so Christianity all comes down to the resurrection of Jesus. If God raised Jesus from the dead, then you've got to deal with that. You've got to interact with that. What are you going to do? Are you going to respond to what He said? Or are you going to reject Him? So good. Alright, so review time. Uh, last night I gave you three facts that are a necessary part of the gospel out of 1 Corinthians 15. Three facts. So, who remembers the first fact? Yeah, Ryan. Jesus died for our sins. Okay, Jesus died for our sins. There was a there was a, a something on the end of that. Yes, ma'am. What was it? According to the scriptures. Excellent. All right. So that's fact number one. Fact number two was yes, sir. And he was buried. Why say that? Why is that necessary to say that he was buried? Jack, Jack. Uh, because he wouldn't bury somebody That's exactly right. It underscores or, or highlights the fact that he was dead. Alright, so Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And then the third necessary fact, Haven. One more time. Exactly right. That he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. Who raised him from the dead? Yes, sir. God. God the Father did. Right. You guys are, you guys are listening really, really well. So, great. Uh, great answers. Great review. We're going to kind of keep going through those. So, here's a question completely off topic. Now, uh, how would you define or describe imitation? What is imitation? Okay, I want people who have an answer. Yes, sir, Jonathan. Uh, I say something and then you copy me. Okay, you say something and then I copy you. Yes, sir, go ahead. Okay, you repeat something from someone before you. Yes, ma'am, Grace. 
Okay, you take on the attributes or maybe the actions, Haven. Okay, good. So you guys get the... Go ahead, Joshua. No? All right, you guys get the idea, right? Imitation is whenever you see somebody or you hear somebody and you duplicate their behavior. You do what they do. You say what they say like they said it. You dress like they dress. You dance like they dance. You... Uh, you... You, you, you cast like in your fishing like somebody else or whatever it may be, you imitate them. Alright, so good, you guys got, you know what imitation is. Alright, so why do, why do people imitate somebody or something else? Why do you imitate someone? Yes, sir? Out of respect. Out of respect, okay. Yes, sir? Okay, you want to be able to do what they do, Elias? In order to like be uh, cool like that. Okay, good. I think you're I think you're hitting on it a little bit. Yes, sir, Kevin. You want to be identified. With them. Okay, you want to be identified with them. All right. What about if you just like it? You think I like that? I, I like I like the way I like the way that they did that. I like the way they responded. I like the way that they carried themselves. I like the way I, I like the way that. He combs his hair, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever it is, you, you like it, and so you, you actually follow up and you do what they do. Uh, and you can say, oh, look, you're imitating that person. You must really like what they do. So somebody said that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Uh, in other words, if you really, really like somebody, you're going to imitate them. You're going to do what they do. And, that, and that's the way that you say, I like what you're doing or saying or what you have. Okay? So imitation says, I like it a lot. Right? Uh, what are some bad forms of imitation? What are things that you should not imitate? Give somebody else a chance. Go ahead. Uh, like drinking a lot? Yes, you shouldn't do bad behaviors. Good. What else? What are some other things that that, that should not be imitated? Yes, sir. Chris. Bad hairdos. Bad hairdos. Amen. That's right. Bad hairdos. What else? Like mullets, right? I heard mullets are coming back. Don't imitate mullets. I had a mullet one time. And uh, no, don't. I'm not even going to show you pictures. Yes, sir. Nathan. I'm sorry. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to imitate somebody who disobeys their parents. Okay, so so here's here's a, here's something that I thought of. Have Have you ever heard of 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 uh, Doctor Popper? Have you ever heard of that? It's a knockoff for Doctor Pepper. Have you ever heard of Mister Pib? Do you like Mr. Pibb? My wife will not order Mr. Pibb. She'll ask, do you have Dr. Pepper? And they'll say yes. And she'll say, do you really have Dr. Pepper? Or is it Mr. Pibb? Well, it's Mr. Pibb. It's the same thing. No, it's not. And so she'll say that there is no imitation for Dr. Pepper, right? There are just some things that you cannot imitate. Uh, so there's, there's, there's name brand food, right? That We have store brand food, like we have Kroger brand, or we might have Albertsons brand, uh, or you have Walmart brand of something instead of like whatever it is that your parents buy. There are, there are other things like, uh, like what has anybody ever heard of pleather? What is pleather? 
plastic leather. That's right. Plastic leather. It, it's, a, it's an imitation of... Leather. leather. You don't want pleather, right? You want the real thing. Um, so, what about what about what is a what is a droid? A, a droid phone is what? Yeah, an Android is is an imitation of a what? Why would you ever want to have the imitation, right? Why wouldn't you just want to have the real thing, right? I mean, I mean, seriously. So, uh, we've got. Tablets, right? Uh, tablets are an imitation of an iPad. I mean, it, this is the real thing. And, and you've got you've got PC is an imitation and tries to do everything that a Mac would do. And you're like, no, it's kind of like Dr. Popper or Mr. Pib, right? You you want the real thing. Sorry, I'm a little brand loyal, but, but thank you, James. Can I get a witness back there? Amen. All right. So those are bad forms of imitations. What are some good forms of imitations? Things that you want to imitate. All right. You got to give these two guys are answering all the questions up here. All right. Go ahead. Great, right? That's good. All right, Nathan. Worshiping God. Imitating Jesus. Imitating Jesus. Haven. Good hairdos. Nice. Yes, sir. Okay, go ahead. Big bulging biceps. Big bulging biceps. Okay. Uh, all right, anybody else? All right, those are good forms of imitation. So Scripture commands us to imitate the right people and the right things. And somebody said this earlier that you, somebody that you should want to imitate is Jesus. Listen to this. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Did you know you could imitate God? You could, you could act like Him morally. As beloved children and walk in love as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So you can imitate God by acting like Jesus and loving other people. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, the one who says he abides in him himself ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. So in other words, if you're going to say that, that you're abiding in Jesus, then you should live like he lived. 1 John 3, 3, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So, so imitate Jesus, right? You remember the bracelets a few years ago? It's probably a lot of years ago now. WWJD, what, what, what did that mean? What would Jesus do? You don't see those around anymore, do you? You got one. Look, they get four. How many? Anybody else? All right, so some people, you're bringing them back, right? All right. Uh, so, right. So, imitate Jesus. Paul, listen to this, guys. Paul also encouraged other people to imitate him. 1 Corinthians 4.16, I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. You should be doing what we're doing because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. In other words, we were careful about how we behaved. You should do the same thing. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 12. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are, and you have done me no wrong. In other words, we imitate each other by not doing wrong. Philippians 3.17. I think this is a great verse. Brethren, join in following my example and observe 
Or keep your eye on those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. What do, you, what do you think he's saying? Why is he saying imitate me? Why is he saying why is he saying follow my example and make sure that you've got your eye on people who are who are doing what we're doing? Why is that important? Because it helps us to honor God. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. So, uh, there's a principle that Scripture teaches that bad company corrupts good morals. If you hang out with the wrong friends, right? If you choose poorly your friends, they're going to get you into trouble. And uh, you, they're going to say, hey, why don't you come do this with me? And you know that it's wrong. And, and you think, nah, I shouldn't be doing that. And, and they're saying, come on, it'll be fine. You know, and, and it's just not good to be around those people. It is better to be around people who want to honor God, just as you guys were saying, who want to imitate Jesus. And they're a good example for you. And that's what we should be doing. Last scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Paul says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. So here's a question. Who are you imitating? If you had to find somebody that you could say, Yeah, I like their style. I like the way they talk. I like the way they treat people. I like the choices they make. I, I want to be like them. Who, who are you imitating? Have you thought about that? You, you need somebody. You need a role model. You, you need someone to imitate because that's just a big part of who we are. And, and Scripture talks a lot about us having the right models for us to be imitating. Imitating Christ, imitating Paul, imitating those who honor the Lord. So, I, I, I want to read a passage of Scripture. And this is our Scripture for, uh, for our time together. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So find 1 Thessalonians in your Bible. First Thessalonians chapter one. We we I named the theme of this camp becoming imitator. So my goal for you is that you would become an imitator. Uh, you are an imitator, but the question is of who that you become an imitator of the right person. So. Paul writes this letter to this church, this group of people that are in a city called Thessalonica, and they were the Thessalonians. So if we live in Phoenix, then we would be called what? Phoenicians. That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? But that's probably the best way to, to do it. But they were from Thessalonica. They were Thessalonians. And he wrote this letter to them. And we're going to work our way through chapter 1. Ten verses over the remainder of our time together. Let me read it for us. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, 
beloved by God, His choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became... What's that next word? Imitators. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. That's what we've been talking about, right? Imitators of Jesus and imitators of Paul. Paul says, that's what happened to you Thessalonians. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, watch this, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul says to the Thessalonians, you have become imitators of us and of the Lord. Man, that's great. It's one thing for me to say, I'm an imitator of Paul or I'm an imitator of Jesus. It's better for somebody else to say, you're an imitator of Jesus. I can tell it by the way that you live. Right? It's one thing for us to say it about ourselves. It's much better for somebody else to see that happening within our life. And that's what happened with the Thessalonians. And Paul was writing that to them. My question to you is, how do you know if you have become an imitator of Jesus? How do you know? That's a great question. So if I'm supposed to imitate Jesus... If I'm supposed to imitate Paul, who was imitating Jesus, how do I know if I have become an imitator of Jesus? That's the question that I want you to be able to answer. Alright? So, you know what separates and makes Christianity different from every other religion, right? A resurrected Savior, right? You know the three facts of the Gospel, right? What's necessary to understand Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. You know that. Here's what I want you to walk away with. How do I know if I'm an imitator of Jesus? Alright, how do you know? So here's two questions that I'm going to work to answer as we're working our way through this time together. The two questions that you have to be able to answer is, has the gospel changed you? That's the first question. Has the gospel changed you? And I'll tell you what that looks like as we work our way through. The second question you're going to need to answer is, does the gospel drive you? Has the gospel changed you? Does the gospel drive you? You know what the gospel is, right? It's what someone told me about Jesus, that He, that he died for my sins, that He was buried, that God raised Him from the dead. That was all important because He paid the penalty for my sin. That's the good news of the gospel. Has that message changed you personally? Has it made you different? And I'll tell you what that looks like. Here's the second question. Does the gospel drive you? 
In other words, as this message of forgiveness through Christ becomes so important to you that it drives you, that it fuels you, that it directs you, that it guides your conversations and the things you do and the way you live. Those are the two questions that I want to help you to answer during our time together so that you can know whether or not you have become an imitator of Jesus Christ. Sound good? Can we do it? Alright. Look at verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Those are the writers. It's the Apostle Paul. He's a missionary. He's a preacher. He's an apostle. He's got two people working with him. Silas or Silvanus and Timothy. That was his, that was his guy that he was training. That's who's writing this. And he's writing to a group of people, the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's writing to a church that was in the city of Thessalonica. He's got these things that he wants to say to them. And he gives them greetings. And this is how he greets them. Grace to you and peace. I I want you to have God's riches at Christ's expense. I want you to have God's grace because you're going to need it. And I want you to have God's peace. See, that's what I didn't have before I was a Christian. That's why I would lay awake in bed at night and think, is there there anything more to life than this? Because I didn't have peace with God. I didn't have the peace of God. And Paul says here, grace and peace to you. Now, what I want to do in our time together uh, this morning is is I want to talk to you about this church, these, these people called the Thessalonians. Thessalonica, the city, was the capital of the province of Macedonia. Macedonia was like a state or like an area, right? And so think of think of Arizona as a state, Macedonia as like a state or a province or an area. And this city was Thessalonica. It had about 100,000 people. Phoenix has about 5 million people. So kind of like Midland, Texas. I think Midland, Texas has 120,000 people. So that was Thessalonica. Not a lot of people, but not a small city, right? But it was, a, it was a place where there was a lot of stuff that was going on because it was right on it was right on the coast and so it had a seaport where ships were coming in and delivering all of these things from far off. And, and it, not only was it a seaport, but it was located on what was known as the Ignatian Way. You think, oh, what in the world is that? It was a major highway that ran throughout the Roman Empire. So this is a really key city. Uh, There were a lot of different types of people that were there. Think of it like Los Angeles or think of it like Phoenix. There were a lot of different types of people that were there. But it was on the coast and so it had ships coming into it. It was on the Ignatian Way. And so it was kind of like a thoroughfare, but it was a key city because all of these roads came through it in Rome. And so later God would use it in a great way as kind of a, 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 a central hub through which the gospel could go out to all of these different places. If you say, well, what was the religion like in that time? Uh, Most people uh, believed what the Romans believed in a pantheon of gods. Big word. What does that mean, a pantheon of gods? Anybody know what a pantheon means? Yes, sir. It's like a very large... Yeah, so like there's a lot of different gods. They had a, a, a smorgasbord of gods that they, that they worshipped, right? 
And they worshipped Caesar. They said Caesar is God or the ruler is God. It's kind of like saying that our president is God. It was just no bueno. We don't, we don't do that. And they had Egyptian cults also. And listen to this. There was a big population of Jewish people that were there in Thessalonica. Alright, so that's what Thessalonica was like. Alright, now, here's a question for you. How in the world did the church in Thessalonica get started? Have you ever wondered that? How does the church get started anyway? I mean, how did Northwest Community Church get started? Uh, how did Grace Community Church in Jacksonville get started? Uh, I, I, I was part of that process with a group of people that the Lord used to start a church. But how did the church in Thessalonica get started? Well, that's what I want to show you this morning because it's going to help you to understand. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave 1 Thessalonians and I want you to make a left-hand turn and I want you to go to the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 16. And this is really cool because you find out as you're working your way through this that sometimes God uses difficulty in order to bring about good things. Acts chapter 16, verse number 6. And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region. Watch this. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What in the world does that mean? That means that Paul is a missionary and he's got his team and they're traveling through and they're wanting to go to these different cities and they're wanting to preach what? The gospel. The message about Jesus that he died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that God raised Him from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. He's wanting to preach this message. He's wanting to tell people about the suffering of Jesus. He's wanting to tell them that forgiveness is possible by trusting in this crucified and resurrected Savior. He's wanting to do this, but notice the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, did not permit them. They're trying to go into this city called Bithynia, and, and the Spirit somehow won't let him go in. You say, well, what happened? I don't know. He just wasn't allowing them. God was blocking their way. Verse 8, And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. I th- I'm sorry, I skipped, I skipped a part of it. Go back to verse number 6. Having been forbid by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia... And when they had come to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So the Holy Spirit forbid them to speak the word in Asia. The Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to go into Bithynia. Twice, two different places they're trying to go, and the Holy Spirit's not letting them go. You say, well, did they know it was the Holy Spirit? I don't know if they knew it or not. They, they do as Luke was recording this. But notice what it says. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a certain man of Macedonia. He was standing and appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. All right, so I'm reading this. And what I'm thinking about, and I know that this isn't accurate, it's just a way that I'm, I'm picturing it in my mind, is what does a vision look like? I have no idea. But do you remember that scene in Star Wars whenever R2-D2 flashes that hologram? Was it of Princess Leia? And she's, she's saying, come help us. So it's kind of like that, but it's not. 
All right, I'll probably get in trouble by using this illustration, but it's kind of that thing. What did this vision of this man from the area of Macedonia, the state of Macedonia, he appeared to Paul in a dream, and he says to Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. You remember Thessalonica was a city in the area of Macedonia, and this man in this dream says, says come over and help us. Okay, the Holy Spirit won't let me go here into Asia and speak the word. And, and then he won't let me go into Bithynia. But, but now we've got this vision of this man in Macedonia. And he's saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, and when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul says, oh, God must be wanting us to go and preach the gospel in Macedonia. So you read on through Acts chapter 16. There's some drama that happens with a slave girl. She's demon-possessed. You ought to read it. It's pretty exciting. Uh, they end up preaching. They get thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. They get beaten with rods, right? And then, and then they end up, there's this whole thing where uh, the Holy Spirit shakes the jail and all the prisoners are loosed and the guy who's overseeing the jail, the Philippian jailer, is about to kill himself and Paul ends up sharing the gospel with him and he ends up getting saved and the people in his family end up getting saved and it's crazy, right? And you're going, man, this is, this is wild. I mean, this is, this is, this is kind of like what you see in the movie sometime. And this is in the book of Acts and you're realizing that God is pushing the gospel out and He's saving all these people through this message of the gospel. And so that ends at chapter 16. So what happens next? Look at chapter 17. Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to, what's the next word? Thessalonica. Thessalonica. So now they're in the city of Thessalonica that's in the province of the region of... Come on now, you got to help me. Macedonia, good. All right, so now they're in Macedonia where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Remember I told you there were Jews there in Thessalonica? And so the synagogue was the place where the Jews met. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths. What's the Sabbath? Who knows what the Sabbath is? Yes, sir. What, what day is the Sabbath? Saturday. The Jews, we have Sunday because Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday. That's where we celebrate that and we worship God. The Jews worship God on Saturday, on the Sabbath. I'm, I feel like I'm going in and out here, am I? Yeah. Are we good? Yeah? Alright, we'll see. We'll, we'll proceed. For three Sabbaths or three Saturdays, watch this, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Do you see that in verse number 2? Do you remember why he reasoned? Because Christ died for our sins, what, according to the? Scriptures. Right? And he was buried, and then he was raised from the dead, right? According to the? Scriptures. Scriptures. So he's using the Old Testament Scriptures for three Sabbaths, verse 3, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ or the Messiah had to suffer or die and rise again from the dead. And he was saying to them, This Jesus, who I am proclaiming or preaching to you, is the Christ. He's the Messiah. Hey, Jewish brothers and sisters, you've been waiting for Messiah to come. It's Jesus. 
He's the one. Look in your Old Testament. Here it says that He's going to die. Here it says that God's going to raise Him from the dead. This is Him. You've got to believe in Him. You've got to follow Him. Why? Because He's alive. God raised Him from the dead just like He said He was going to do. Verse 4, And some of them were persuaded. Some of them believed and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. Alright, stop right there and look at that. That is how the church at Thessalonica was born. That's how the church got started in Thessalonica. It's all these different people that heard Paul preaching from the Old Testament there in the synagogue about the Messiah, Jesus. And there were some of the Jews that were persuaded. In other words, there were a few Jews that were saved. But what a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So, Greeks are non-Jews. So if you're not Jewish, but you're a Gentile or a Greek that was a God-fearer, you would go to synagogue to learn about the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament. There was a lot of them that were saved. A few Jews, a whole lot of God-fearing Greeks, and a number of the leading women. Well, guess what? When that happened, there was a problem. Because the Jews who were in the synagogue that didn't get saved didn't like it that all of these God-fearing Gentiles were converted. They didn't like that they started following this Jesus because that meant that they were going to believe different from what the leaders of the synagogue were trying to, to teach them. And they became very jealous and they decided to riot. Now, we've seen a lot of protests lately, haven't we? We've seen a lot of protests. A couple summers ago, they were burning stuff and starting fires and BLM was starting all of these problems and, and tearing down buildings and killing people. And, and they were just saying, it's okay. People need the right to protest. No, it's not okay to do anything like that. And then we've seen protests right because, of the, because the Supreme Court has said Roe v. Wade is, is no more and they've overturned that and people have protested. Well, this protest was different. This was a protest because what happened was these people came preaching the gospel and these Jews that weren't converted didn't like it. Look at verse number 5 of chapter 17. But the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. Why was that? Because Paul and his companions were probably staying with Jason. Now, maybe you've seen on TV these protesters that are outside the Supreme Court justices' houses, you know, saying a bunch of bad things and making trouble. Well, it wasn't like that at all. I mean, they were like, Hey, Jason, come on out, man. We heard you got Paul in there. We want him. He's starting trouble. Jason, you better bring him out. Are we coming in, right? They're, they're, they're trying to get in there. They're trying to find Paul and his companions, these other missionaries. Verse 6 says, And when they did not find them, what did they do? They began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities. In other words, well, if we can't have Paul, hey man, we're taking you. 
And so they grab hold of Jason, they grab hold of some of these other new converts. These people had just become followers of Jesus and they were meeting together. And they were so upset that they grabbed Jason, the owner of the house, and they grabbed some new Christians and they started dragging them before the city authorities and they're shouting this, These men have upset the world or turned the world upside down and have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them. Now they were saying that about Paul and Timothy and Silvanus. These are the guys who turn the world upside down. They've come here also. Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Saying there is another king, Jesus. That's pretty awesome. Now, they were trying to upset the leaders, the authorities, because they wanted them to throw Jason in jail, right? That's what was happening there. But can you just imagine that Paul and his friends were being known as men who had turned the world upside down, saying there's another king and his name is Jesus. Verse 8, And they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and others, they released him. Now, what's that all about? The pledge is probably some money. Jason probably said, hey, listen, there's not going to be any more trouble, man. Just let us go. We, 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 we don't want any trouble. And they probably said, well, listen, you need to give us some money. So it's like a guarantee that there's not going to be any, any more problem. But watch this. In order to protect Jason and the others, verse 10 of chapter 17 says, And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. In other words, Paul, you got to get out of here. These people are crazy. They want to kill you because you're talking about Jesus. It was remarkable. And so they sent them away to Berea and, and notice what happened. And when Paul and Silas arrived in Berea, what did they do? What does it say? What does it say? It says they went to the synagogue. And- what? Now, can you imagine this? You just went into the synagogue and you were preaching for three Saturdays about Jesus from the Scriptures. You got people who are converted and the Jews get upset. They form a riot, right? Everything is being ripped apart. It's so bad that they've got to send you away by night so that nobody sees you. You roll into Berea and what's the first thing you do? You find a synagogue in order to tell people about Jesus. Guys, come on. What would you have done? Maybe he said, Oof, I'm glad we're out of there. I mean, we were almost put in jail. They could have torn us apart. You know, I don't ever want to do that again. Uh uh-uh. uh. They were compelled to tell other people about Jesus. Why? Because He had saved them. They had been forgiven of their sin. They now were rightly related to God. And they wanted to tell everybody about it. And so what do they do whenever they get there? They roll into there and they go straight to the synagogue of the Jews. You say, well, what happened in Berea? Well, look, check it out. Verse 12. And many of them therefore believe. Whoa! You got Paul that rolls into the synagogue. He starts preaching again. And what happens? People are converted. 
He's telling them this message of the good news of the gospel. He's arguing from the Old Testament that Jesus died for sinners according to the scriptures. Right? Fact number two, that he was buried. Fact number three, that God raised him from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. And people were saying, how could we not have seen that? Right? That's right. I see it. It's right there in the Old Testament. Jesus is the Messiah. I want to follow Jesus. I want Him to, to save me. I want to be forgiven. So I'm trusting in Him. This is remarkable, right? Many of them therefore believe, watch this, along with a number of prominent Greek men and women. So, so, so now you've got Jews that are converted. You've got Gentile men. You've got Gentile women are converted. This is fantastic. It's like going into a liberal Methodist church or an Episcopalian church or a Catholic church, bringing your Bible, giving the gospel, and people being converted. The ones that are saved are excited because they're forgiven, but the priest is probably really upset because you've taken people out of his church, right? That's what happened. But watch this, verse 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also... So the Jews in Thessalonica that caused the riot found out that Paul went to Berea and preached the same message. They came there likewise, agitating, stirring up the crowds, forming a riot there. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea and Silas and Timothy remained there. Can you just imagine this scene? I mean, everywhere this guy Paul goes, he's, he's preaching the gospel message and people are being converted and people are getting upset and, and they're, they're, they're shipping him out. Why? Because this is just causing all of these different problems. And, and he goes out as far as the sea and Silas and Timothy remain there. Verse 15, Now those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So what do you think Paul did whenever he went to Athens? I'm not going to call on you two guys anymore. I got to have some help in the back. Peter. One more. He went to the synagogue. You know, he didn't go to the synagogue, but he went to a place called the Areopagus. This was a place where it was a hill where all these really brainy people talked about a bunch of stuff. And he goes there, and guess what he began to do? He began to preach the gospel. Verse 32 of chapter 17, look at what it says. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead. You remember how I told you it's the resurrection that you have to believe in? They're, they're believing that he died. They're believing that he was buried, right? But they get to the fact that God raised him from the dead. When they heard that, some begin to sneer. Oh, man, come on. We don't believe that. Raised him from the dead. What? Come on, that doesn't happen. Nobody is raised from the dead. But others said, We shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him, and what does it say? And believed. Among them also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman, a woman named Damaris with others as well. 
Acts 18 and verse number 1. And after these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. So here's the question. All right. Man. That's a trip. That's a movie, right? I mean, that's wild. This guy's just preaching the gospel. What happens when someone hears the gospel and responds to it? What do you think should take place? What do you think should happen? Yes, sir. Okay, the Holy Spirit comes in. Yeah, we can't see that, but that's true. What else? Somebody back there. What happens? What happens when you're saved? What happens to your life? Yes, sir. Ryan. (laughs) All right, let me answer it for you. You're different. What happened to me whenever I got saved? I was different. I had a new purpose. My old friends dumped me. I had new vocabulary. I wanted to please the Lord. I started growing. I started going to church. started reading my Bible. Not because I had to, because I wanted to. And I started to grow spiritually. What should you expect when people hear the gospel and respond to it? They're different and they begin to grow. And you want to put them in a place where they can grow, right? Where they can be around good examples, where they can imitate the right people, and where their faith can grow. Now listen, Paul was a shepherd. Paul was burdened that that would happen with the people who had started following Jesus. And so while Paul was at the city of Athens, he's sitting there and he's thinking, man, I wonder what's happening in Thessalonica. That was really crazy. That whole riot thing, those people coming after Jason, those brand new believers, I wonder how they're doing. So he was concerned and sent Timothy to Thessalonica to find out what was going on in the church. He was that concerned about it. We read about that in chapter 3. Timothy goes to the church in Thessalonica. He talks to all the people who had begun following Jesus. He makes sure they're doing okay. And then he comes back to the Apostle Paul and he gives Paul a report while Paul is there in the city of Corinth. While Paul is there at the city of Corinth, he writes this letter to the church at Thessalonica called 1 Thessalonians. So what we're going to study, at least this first chapter, is Paul finding out how they're doing, what's going on with them, and he's going to write to them to be encouragers. And you know what he found out? He found out that the Thessalonians had become imitators. They had become imitators of Christ, and they had become imitators of Paul. And he was so encouraged and he wrote in order to affirm that and to help them to learn and grow. Now here's a question. Have you become an imitator? I know that you imitate somebody, right? We all That's just how we are. We imitate somebody. But have you become an imitator of Jesus? Have you become a follower of Him? How do you know that? How do you know if you become an imitator of Jesus Christ? That's the question that we're going to answer during our time together. Okay? But you've got to come back tonight for us to start getting into it, and we'll figure that out. Okay? Alright, let me pray for us.
Father, we want to thank You for the Apostle Paul and his passion to see people become an imitator of Jesus. We thank You for the message of the Gospel, for the way that his life had changed because he was confronted with a crucified and resurrected Jesus. We thank You that He would tell people about Jesus from the Old Testament Scriptures. And He would tell them that this is the Messiah. And and because God has raised Him from the dead, that they need to become followers of His. We thank You that he, He wanted that more than anything. And we read about that in the book of Acts and we understand. And then now as we're able to study the book of 1 Thessalonians... We're just amazed at the change that you made in the lives of the Thessalonians. Father, thank you for changing people through the gospel. And uh, your word makes it clear how we can know whether or not we are really followers of Jesus, whether or not we're really Christians, whether or not we've really believed the gospel. And I pray that in our upcoming time together that you would help us uh, to be hungry to know that. And Lord, I I, I pray for each of these young men and young women that they would want to know whether or not they're imitators of Christ. May you help us to know that from your word. Thank you uh, for church history. Thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you for the ministry of men like Paul. And thank you for the gospel whereby you enable us to be forgiven. We ask for your blessing on today. Thank you for each one who's here. Please keep us safe. Help us to have a great time together. And Lord, help us just to think about what happened there in Thessalonica and the way you caused that church to be born. And may we understand the power of the gospel and the way that you use it to change us from the inside out. We love you. Thank you that you love us. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.